Let's get ready to rumble! It's real men, guys! Uh, this next few weeks is gonna be a little unique. Uh, Pastor Mark got together with some of the best men the realest men that he knows, and he did some exclusive interviews for you guys. Um, some really, really big interviews will be re-airing for the next few weeks. These are exclusive just for you guys um, until we get back to Real Men, um, which kicks off on September 13th when we're launching a series called Dominion. Demer Dominion for men over all areas of your life. This is a really, really key to being a godly Christian man. Um, the times for that, it'll be every Wednesday at 3, 5, and 6.30 Arizona time. So if you don't know where that is, just Google it, Arizona time. Uh, figure it out on your end, but we'd love to have you join us and bring a friend. There's thousands and hundreds of thousands of guys gathering together all over the world, watching real men together. So go follow us on social media, stay tuned, and uh, get ready for an awesome semester, but check out this interview. All right, Nick, thanks for jumping on with me today. Um, here, here's where I wanted to go. I wanted to hear a little bit about the family you grew up in, the family that you're leading as a husband and a father. I'll share a little bit about my family. And I want to have a discussion. Um, we may get to young women, but I really want to focus and target it on young men. And what we're seeing with young men is catastrophic, not in labor force, record number of men that are not employed or seeking employment during COVID, uh, record number moved home with their mother, um, exited church, exited culture, exited ambition and jobs. They're not returning record suicidal ideation, mental health, addiction to pornography, vaping, video games. And the government seems to just be telling them, you know, castrate your genitalia and vote for socialists. And then you can be on the nipple for the rest of your life. And, and there's a whole generation of young guys who are saying, you know, that's not what I want. And the most recent survey came out. It's the record number of conservative 12th grade boys since the 1970s. And they're realizing that, that the progressive agenda offers them nothing. The cultural forces aren't going to give them a future. And so I want to just have a, a, a dad conversation, if you will. You've got kids. I've got kids. What, what would you tell young men and, and how could we help those guys, not just make fun of them, but, but maybe, maybe help them. And so a little bit about your upbringing, your family and, and, and kind of you as a dad would be a good place to start. Sure. Um, well, again, th thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, my, my parents actually got uh, divorced when I was three and, uh, I would spend the school years with my mom. I'd spend the summers with my dad. My dad lived, uh, I, I grew up in Northern California in Chico. My dad lived in uh, LA and, um, one of the great, I mean, obviously divorce, I think divorce is a horrible thing. Um, but one, one of the, I guess the gifts that they gave me from that is that they never tried to play one. They never tried to play the kids off in order to, to gain footing with, with, you know, with the other or to, they never made us a part of the, the fight between themselves. So it wasn't a hostage situation with the no. kids in the middle. No, it wasn't. My, my mother was adamant about us having a, a good relationship with our father. Our father was adamant about us respecting our mother. And so even though they didn't work out, they did their best to make sure that we weren't pawns in some sort of you know, domestic game between ex-husband and ex-wife. Um, you know, my mom ended up getting remarried. She ended up getting divorced again. My dad is actually going through uh, another divorce right now. So there, there was a fair bit of upheaval uh, with, with respect to marriage. But one thing that I, I, was, I was truly blessed with is that um, both, both of my parents, um, you know, st still, you know, believed in Christ and, um, 
there was there was a lot of things that they modeled for me and my brother, and later on my my other um, seven brothers and sisters that I had. There was a lot of things that they they tried to model through that, and and my mom and dad specifically with me and my brother, who were the the two children from the first marriage. Um, I, I really I really took to that. Um, I, I believed it, and and so even though there were certain things that were not modeled for me with, within marriage, um, neither of them tried to play this game where, where, hey, it didn't work for us, so sometimes it just doesn't work. It was something where they acknowledged this was bad. This shouldn't have happened. This, this is not ideal. Um, and, and that's one thing that I'm, I'm really thankful for for both my parents is that they, when, when there was mistakes that they made, they didn't go back and try to, try to pretend like it was somebody else's fault. They actually took ownership over that in, in the hopes that it would not be repeated by their children. And I think that's really important. Um, so so that, that was me, kind of my experience let me growing you up. real briefly on that. Yeah. So, so how important is it just as parents that we repent to our kids and oh, we gosh. own it? And when we fail, we're like, that was on me. I think there is a whole parade of, you know, young men and women, they've never heard their parents own anything. And they've never heard their dad just raise his hand and say, I failed. This was my error. And it's caused you pain. And it's, it's, it's my fault. How healing or helpful is that just as a parent? Sometimes parents are like, well, how do we be the leader? Sometimes just be the lead repenter. Uh, so I, I couldn't agree. There, there's a story I love to tell about, you know, fast forward, I married my high school sweetheart. We've been married for 24 years now. We both, she came from a divorced family as well. We were both adamant, like, Hey, this, this wasn't going to happen to us. And we, we've strongly believed. And because both of us were rooted in our faith, we strongly believe like, Hey, this is a choice you make. And so, um, but it, when it comes to raising kids, um, I remember this one time, you know, we, I, I was trying to explain to this, this group of parents I was talking to, they're like, I don't understand why my kids have gone off and they've rejected everything that I, I taught them and whatnot. And, and as you ask them some more probing questions about, okay, what did you teach your kids? Oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes what you find out is you, you didn't teach your kids how to think or what to believe or why they should believe something. What you taught them was an authority structure. And that authority structure began and ended with you. Like, I'm the parent because I say so. This is my house. You live under my roof. Okay, well, that works out really great when you're in charge. What happens when your kid goes off to college and now the professor's the authority figure or their friend group or their boss or whatever else it is? One of the most important things that you can teach your children is that there is an objective set of rules which govern our behavior that, that don't exist because dad decided they exist. They exist because God set it up that way. Yeah. And if you really want to reinforce to your kids that you believe in, in such a thing as objective truth, objective morality, objective right and wrong, well, then when your child comes to you respectfully, and I think that's an important component, but when your child comes to you respectfully and says, hey, dad, I, I, this, doesn't, this doesn't match up with what you've taught me. In that moment, if you tell them, how dare you come to me? I'm in charge. Or do you know how hard I work? Do you know what you've told them is that the rules are not objective. They're arbitrary based off of power. Yeah. Well, if you want a kid that just does whatever the, the current people holding power tell them to do, then reinforce that in your own household. But if you want them to understand that there's such a thing as right and wrong, one of the most powerful things that you can do is just what you described. It's say, you know what? And I've had to do this with my kids before. And it was humbling telling my 14-year-old daughter, sweetheart, I appreciate that you came to me respectfully for this. I appreciate that you identified that I did something wrong. And I want you to know that you're right. I'm wrong. And, and I'm going to apologize for that. I, I, I think I, what I think that did and what I think my daughter would convey is that reinforced to her that, 
the, the rules, the morals, the standards for behavior, these things were objective and they applied to all of us. This is not a, a tyranny of the father. This is me yeah. trying to do my best to reinforce those good values because it's going to be good for them and they apply to me as well. Well, and I think within that, what you get is that kind of, what I always say that in parenting, there's rules in relationship and it's like a, it's like a teeter totter. Like if you go heavy on rules, you're going to be very light on relationship. Um, if you go very heavy on relationship, you can be pretty light on the rules and the relationship allows you to sort of deal with things as they come up and work them out conversationally. The kids that grew up in the heavy handed authoritarian, lots of rules, few relationships. Those are the kids that I find are the deconstructionists. They're the apostates. Um, they're the progressive Christians. They're attacking the church. And a lot of it just comes out of bitterness from growing up in a legalistic, high-control, fear-based, non-relational environment. And, and what they're rebelling against, they think, is Christianity. It's, it's not. It's actually, a, it's actually a very bastardized version of the kind of father that God is to us. Yeah. Um, so that being said, um, yeah, and, and one of the things, too, is like, how important is it as early as possible to teach your kids to hear from God for themselves so that you're not the mediated voice of God into their life, but they have a direct relationship with God where they listen to him and he speaks to them. And how do you cultivate that in a kid? I, I think one of the most important things for us, and my, my oldest daughter is 20. She's, she's engaged now. Great guy. I'm, I'm, we're, we're very happy about it. Thank you. Are you going to um, officiate the wedding? No, I, I, I'm not. It's probably, it's probably going to be, I, I have, I have done that before, uh, but I'm probably not going to officiate this one mainly because she really wants me to walk her down the aisle. You can and- do both brother. I'll send you video. <laughs> I've done it. I figured this out, man. Yeah. So my oldest daughter, I did her wedding and then my son who just had our first grandson and we've got another grandson on the way. And then my third son, he's getting married in a few weeks. Of course, I'm not walking him down the aisle. We're going to stay in our gender <laughs> lanes at the Driscoll house. But yeah, well, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah. Um, so she's going to, but, but one of the most important things we wanted is for our, our kids' faith to be their own. And, and so we, we started homeschooling uh, pretty early on as well. We put them back in public school for like a year and then immediately took them back out. And we said, there's just no way. But one, one of the things that we wanted is we believe that, you know, your, your kids go through different cycles of kind of like cognitive ability, right? When they start out young, it's very, very heavy on the prescription. Do this because they don't possess the intellectual ability to understand why they're doing certain well, things. Well, and every little boy is suicidal. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> whatever it, the highest point and the sharpest object, he's going to put those together as quickly as possible. Oh, we almost lost our son because of that. Yeah. I, I call him our little amateur spelunker. He decided to, you know, when he was like three, decided to climb the uh, dresser drawers, fell over, cracked his head. We, we, we honestly thought we were going to lose him. And it was, it was miraculous, you know, how quickly he healed and, and no side effects. But it is, it's one of those things where your kids go through different stages where, where they need to have, but, but as they get older and they start to ask, more probing questions there there has to be greater explanation and and there has to be more of more time where you're you're explaining to your kids why you believe what you do and and the relational nature between not only them and you but the relational nature between them and god that that god is not something that we've given them god has always been present god gave them life god gave them being and meaning and purpose And, and that they have um, not, not only not only the right to be able to interact directly with God, but they, they have a responsibility to cultivate that. 
And, and there's areas where I look back and I'm like, man, I could have done that better. There's areas I look back where I'm like, yeah, I think we got it. But the one thing I'm, I, I've been very happy with so far and very, very thankful for so far is that our kids have all been in situations where they've had to make important decisions. Uh, they've been in situations where they've had to defend their faith, and they felt pretty confident in doing that. And, and I don't think that's because we, we necessarily gave them the best apologetic we possibly could have, although we tried to do that. But it was mainly because, um, as, as Michael Ramsden once said, he goes, you know, if you came up with a really, really good um, you know, argument that I couldn't refute right there on the spot for why you know, my wife didn't exist, I may be frustrated that I couldn't respond to the argument, but you wouldn't have convinced me that my wife didn't exist. Why? Because I have a relationship with her. There's experiences yeah. there that are uniquely ours, and that doesn't just go away because you came up with some sort of you know, rhetorical trick. And, yep. and that is the sort of thing you desperately want to foster within your children and, and encourage them to do. And, and I think it starts with, with praying alongside them, but also encouraging them to pray and then to also you know, re, read their Bible so they can actually confirm that which is you know, coming from God versus that which, you know, okay, no, that's the, you probably added a little something in there. Yeah. Um, so I think all of that's really important. But yeah, if, if they don't, if, if by the time they leave your house, um, it's not their relationship with God. If, if all it is is, I believe this because mom and dad did, it, man, that's going to be really, really hard to defend going on later. But when it's their relationship, I think that that's the proper soil for them to be planted in. And so within that too, like, um, how important is it as a dad to be fun, make memories, and every day isn't, you know, Bible college for the four-year-old, that the word of God and prayer is sort of integrated to a joyful um, environment. And what they're telling us a lot now with brain science is that when a, when, a, when a person is being raised, when a child is being raised, there's one of two kind of dominant paradigms for parenting and how that child is raised, fear, bo fear bonds and joy bonds. Mm -hmm. And so um, some people grow up in a house that's highly religious, it's a lot of fear bonds. Don't tick yeah. mom off. Don't make dad mad. Don't break the rule. You're going to get grounded. You know, don't get caught. You know, it's fear bonds. Joy bonds are very different. It's like, well, I read my Bible because God loves me and I enjoy him. I go to church because that's where my friends are. And I like to see the extended family. I'll never forget. It was, this will, this will date me. Um, many, many years ago when I was young, there was a there was a band Creed and I, I think they're coming out again. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, oh, when yeah. you can't pay the bills, you go play the casino. I mean, that's just <laughs> kind of how it works eventually. But they interviewed Scott Stapp for this conference I was at and their, uh, their songs had massive scriptures in it. And, um, so he was asked, he's like, so are you a Christian? Do you love the Lord? He's like, no. And they're like, well, how do you know so much Bible? He said, when we were a kid, every time we did something wrong, we had to memorize a verse as punishment. Wow. So I hate God and I hate the Bible, but I know a lot of verses. Like, ah, that's a fear bond, not a joy bond. Yeah. The Bible's not like ice cream. It's like getting tasered, you yeah. know? And so how important is it, even as a dad, as you're setting the leadership culture in the home? Yes, Bible teaching. Yes, prayer. But but within a, a joyful, fun, memory-making environment so that there's joy bonds. Otherwise, you know, in some families, it's like, well, wait till your dad gets home and the kid's just fearful. Otherwise, yeah. like, wait till your dad gets home. They're like, awesome, I can't wait to wrestle. You know, it just, it, it's just, sometimes it's, it's the difference between joy and fear driving the culture. Maybe explain to that, having fun, making memories, because the truth is, I know you agree with this, being a dad is really fun. I mean, it's work and it's hard and you find that you are a sinner and need Jesus too. But it's awesome. Mm -hmm. 
No, no, I, yeah, it, it is. I mean, it's and it's an absolutely incredible experience. Um, I, I would say, you know, one of the things I, I, I talk to people when we talk about the whole concept of like happiness versus joy and things like that, I said, you know, I, I find it when, when we say when we talk about joy and we talk about peace that surpasses all understanding, OK, what does that mean? Well, well, it means you can display these things and experience these things, you know, which surpasses all understanding, which means even when things are bad, you have these things. OK, why is that? Yeah. And, and part of it is, is the security that you have in the relationship with Christ. One of the things that you shouldn't be suffering within Christianity is an identity crisis because you know who you are in Christ. The rest of the world is suffering this identity crisis. So I, I, the reason why I bring that up is I think when, when you establish early on with your kids that they are loved, they are beautifully and wonderfully created, they have a purpose and they have a meaning in life, and what this is really all about, whether it's their schooling, whether it's their education, it's about discovering what God has planned for you. Yep. And that's incredible. I mean, that, that is what an incredible, per- regardless of what it might be, that's what you're discovering uh, about you and, and what you're going to do. And, and so a, a lot of this is about identifying the various attributes or traits or gifts that you've been given and how do we foster that. Um, you know, one of the biggest problems I think that we have within this country, and for, especially for young boys, is that there's a lot of things that we, we now classify as disorders. Right. Um, you know, where, okay, there. Are they disorders because they're actual disorders or are they disorders because what we've taught is the proper mechanism for behavior is how good you are at sitting in a classroom for eight hours a day engaging in rote memorization of things, right? Yeah. And, and, and so I do think that as a – it's one of the reasons why I'm a huge advocate of, of, of homeschooling is because it provided us an opportunity to be able to develop what, what – learning and maturity and, and all of these things, whether it was in their faith, whether it was in just developing various capabilities, which we think are, is ultimately tied to your faith because there's a purpose behind it. Um, and, and then finding ways that you could actually create experiences. I, I, I will tell you this. I, I'm, my grandfather used to say, you know, when you get old, you, you start to become, you know, when you're younger, it's easy for you to you know, be hard, not cry the whole deal. Because you get older, sometimes it gets a little bit harder to hold it back. And I remember this year for father's day, um, what I asked my kids to do is I said, because, you know, daddy, daddy, what do, you, what do you want for Father's Day? I'm like, here's what I want. I said, I want each of you to write me just a short letter, one page, one paragraph, doesn't matter. So, but I want two things on there. I want you to give me something specific about our relationship, about something we did, just something yeah. that, that was meaningful to you and that you appreciated. And I want you to tell me something that you would like me to change or to do more of or to do le- whatever it is, something that I, I can improve on with respect to our relationship. And the, the, thing, that, the thing that I think um, shocked me a, a little bit was, one, some of the things they would mention, because they, they, they all gave me more than just one little thing. They, mm-hmm. they gave me different things. But there were certain things you look at, you're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense, right? You like the daddy-daughter dances we went to or something like that. There was other things where it was like, Wow, really? That's that that little thing we did that that had a big enough impact. Where when I asked you to look back on the last twenty, seventeen, or fifteen years of your life, this is what you put down as the thing that that was really that was really amazing. And the other thing is, is what all of them wanted was just more time to create. None of them asked for anything big. They didn't ask for the next gaming console. They didn't. And it wasn't. I wish you know, what Dad made more money so we could go on more trips or anything. No, it was. It was always little things that created memories with them that were yeah. unique to us, um, and and gosh, the more of those that you can you you can create and foster, 
um, around doing things that is going to help them develop, I, I think it does two things. Um, one, it just, like you said, it, it adds a, and a tremendous amount of joy to, to fatherhood. Um, the other thing is that it, it develops a certain level of, of trust with your kids uh, so that when you are going through something that, quite frankly, you're, you might not get a lot of joy of, but discipline is necessary, mm-hmm. uh, or when you have to bring correction, that's coming from someone that they know loves them and absolutely wants the best for them, is absolutely on their side. And so they're able to take that correction. They're, they're able to, to take the instruction. They're able to recognize that discipline is necessary in this situation. If you're a dude, you need to learn how to exercise your dominion. This semester at Real Men, I'll be teaching a special series, Dominion for Dudes. If you pick up the Bible and just get a page or two in, you're gonna learn that your God has dominion. You're his son. He has delegated his authority to you. You need to be a dude who stops making excuses and starts making plans to use his authority to exercise your dominion over your life, your body, your finances, your family, your marriage, your legacy, your soul, and your future. If you're a good man, you're gonna get better. If you're a bad man, you're gonna get fixed. And if you're a woke man, you're gonna get triggered. And, well, and in that uh, too, so so that's so what comes to mind then is there's a line in Proverbs that gets echoed in Hebrews, and that is a father disciplines the children they delight in. Mm-hmm. And so within that, most of the time you should be delighting in the children, making memories, having fun, doing life. And then in the moments where they're, you know, rebelling, there's <laughs> discipline and the discipline is not to punish them, but to correct them so you can go back to enjoying them. Yeah. Well, and, you can, and I you think can today, always... rather than disciplining children, we're just entertaining children. It's like, here's a phone, here's a tablet. You drive me crazy. I don't enjoy you. So just, I'm trying to find a way to ignore you. Yeah. Well, no, and, I, and I think they pick up on that very quickly. Um, and, and someone was asking me the other day, because we, we did this video a while back on three things I learned raising daughters. And, and I had this guy message me and he goes, he goes, I love your videos. I have two sons. I'm about to have my first daughter. What advice that you haven't already given would, would you give? And, and the big thing that I stressed upon him, I was like, you know, fathers, <laughs> fathers are terrified of their daughters during their teenage years. That's when fathers are truly just like terrified of, of daughters because it's like, oh my gosh, you're, you're, you're a young woman and, and there's boys and you're as, developing. As soon and As soon as your wife walks in and says she had her period, your first thought is she can get pregnant. Yeah. Dude, everybody, every young man looks like a terrorist. I yes. mean, just the whole world changes. <laughs> oh, yeah. They do. And, and so you're thinking about, and I said, if you want your daughter at 13, 14, 15, 16, to still come to you as her father and actually want to talk about things, that starts when they're two, three, four years old. Yep. When, when, you, when, you take, when you stop what you're doing because she made fake tea, right? And the tea was made with like milk and dirt and, and crap you don't want to drink, right? And, yeah. and you, you go up there and, you know, she's got her little tiara on and her dress and, and you've got whatever and, and you sit there and you I am telling you, she's going to, even if she doesn't remember that exact moment, she doesn't remember it when she's 16, maybe she remembers, maybe that's three. She doesn't remember six. She remembers it at five, right? She remembers it at five. And then the things you do at five, she remembers at seven. Things yep. you do at, she remembers at 13. And this is, this is how you build trust over time where there's this consistency where daddy is someone I go to. And, and, 
especially as it gets into older years where now you are worried about the boys and things like that. I remember the first time my, my daughter had a little boy that liked her fifth grade and we set very strict rules for our, our, all of our kids on dating. It was like, you're not ready to get married. You're not ready to date. What's the point? And, yeah. Yeah. You're like a dog chasing a truck. What are you yeah, going to do if you yeah, get no, it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No point. But, but I, I remember, I remember and there, but by the grace of God go I, right. I remember this point where Lily gets, Lily is talking about this little boy that likes her. And Tina's like, well, go tell your daddy. And she's a little scared, right? Because she doesn't want to tell daddy about a boy, right? And, and I said, sweetheart, I want to tell you something. The fact that this little boy likes you speaks volumes of his intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. it, spe it speaks great. He's and he, and I, he sounds like a very nice and respectful boy. I said, sweetheart, do you know why we don't let you guys get kind of caught up in relationships and stuff like that? And she's like, well, yeah, I think so. I said, here's why, sweetheart. I said, you see how much daddy loves mommy. Yeah. And, and you see how we just, we love each other and we have a wonderful relation and we love you guys. And I see that. I want that for you one day. I said, yeah. I am not the, I am not the dad that never wants his little girl to get married. I want you to get married. I want you to find that guy that God has for you. But here's the question I want to ask you, sweetheart. How much do you want to have to explain to that guy when you find him? Mm -hmm. I said the the whole reason why we do this and we set these boundaries is because we want you to have that wonderful relationship. And our job is to set you up for success, to be able to achieve that. And, and what I found is that as, as my you know daughters got older, again, my oldest is, is engaged right now. You know, the, the one, one of the most wonderful things to me was not only that when her fiance uh, wanted to ask for her hand, he came to me and her mother first to ask permission, not blessing. He was asking permission. Yeah, well, because the as, the hus as the father, you're in the first position until the husband comes. And then as the father, you've got to go into second position and yeah. help that guy win. Yeah. But until she has a husband, she does have a man who loves her and is fully devoted to her and knows her best, you yeah. know? Well, and but when the right... It is weird the right, the right, when the, when the right guy comes, that was for me, like my oldest daughter's married and, and pregnant and my, they're in the other room and yeah. I love them and I love my son-in-law and they're doing great. And I can't wait to meet my grandson. But it's like, I don't want my daughter to be lonely. I don't want her to be alone. I don't want her to be unprotected. I don't want her to spend her whole life independent. I want her to be one. And so, yeah, for me, it seems like a lot of times dads are like, I'm just trying to keep everybody away from my daughter. It's like, no, no, you just trying to keep everybody away except for the right guy when you're fostering and, rebellion in your daughter you're, well, you're, then she you're has to sneak around and hide and yeah. that's where she ends up with the loser yeah it's like i, I nothing nothing was a greater the, i i tell i tell dads this a lot when we're talking about this subject i said it's all fine and good for you to say any young man that wants to marry my daughter better ask my permission i said the only one that gives that that gives that requirement like a, a true meaning and value is your daughter. Yeah. Because if the man decides to not ask your permission and then she runs off and marries him anyways, well then it had no meaning. It had no, okay, you're mad. You're angry. What are you going to do? Go shoot him? No. Or just move in with him and not even yeah. marry him. I yeah. said, but, but it was, it was a huge, it was a huge compliment to, to, I, I think uh, not a compliment. It was a huge blessing for us that I knew he was going to ask permission because he had been raised right because he, he, he loves Christ and, and he loves my daughter. I knew he was going to do the right thing. But I also knew he was going to do the right thing because if he handed it, one of the first questions my daughter would have asked him, even though she desperately wants to marry this guy, one of the first things she would ask him is, have you talked to my dad? Mm -hmm. But, but you, don't, you don't get to demand that. You get to no, build no, no. that over years of relationship with your That's daughter. That's a withdrawal from a bank account that you've been putting in for 20 years. Yeah. 
And if, if you haven't made the trust deposits, then that withdrawal is never going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so within that, um, what would you say young guy hearing this? And he's like, I want to get married. I want to be a husband. I want to be a father. You know, I Googled it. There's a national organization for women. There's no national organization for men. Yeah. I can go to college. I can get a women's studies degree. I can't get a men's studies degree. There's nothing in our culture outside of the church that teaches you how to be a man and a husband and a father. So for those young guys that didn't really have a dad, but they want to be good men and they, they want to kind of go countercultural and do what God made them to do. Like, I want to get married. I mean, you've been married, what, 24 years? Yeah. Yeah, I've been faithfully married to Grace 31 years. I love her with all my heart. We have a great marriage. We're better than ever. We have five kids. They're doing great. They're getting married. They're loving Jesus. You know, there are young men in particular hearing this and they're like, okay, that's my end zone, but I'm not starting on the 20 yard line. I'm starting in the parking lot. Like I haven't even got to the field yet. What advice would you give to those young guys? And those are the guys that are listening to Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson. And, and they don't know what they're looking for. They're just looking for anything that sounds like a grown man knows yeah. something of what he's talking about. So where would you start that guy? Well, I, I think, I think the first thing, the first thing that um, I think it's important to tell young men, especially growing up right now, especially ones that didn't have any of this modeled for them within, within the home is that there's, there's two ways you can go with this. You, you can go with bitterness and you can go with this crap isn't fair and you can go with playing video games and you can go with porn and you can go with everything else. It's not going to make you happy. Um, and, and you are right to be upset or to feel like as if you were, you were robbed of something that you should have been given. You, you, are, you are justified in feeling that. The question is what you're going to do with it. Yeah. And, and I will say this. I, I, I did a video once talking about how, as a father, I'm not just raising my kids or specifically raising my, my son to go out and do I'm raising to protect a legacy. My grandfather poured into it. My father poured into it. I poured into it. I need to pour into it so my son can pick it up. And this, people said, he goes, Nick, I don't have any of that. I said, no, 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 you do. It just starts with you. Yeah, you, you're, you, you have a father in heaven. Your identity yeah. is his son. You don't have an orphan spirit. You have the Holy Spirit by which you cry, Abba, Father. And I always tell guys, there's first link in the chain, strong link in the chain, weak link, weak link in the chain, and broken link in the chain. And for a guy like that, like you're first link in the chain. You're Abraham. Yeah, like your your dad's a pagan. We're starting with you, but then we're working on Isaac and Jacob. We're trying to get more links in the chain. Yeah, no, and and, and I think what what I want, I guess, what I want young men to see from that is, it is you can be frustrated about your circumstances, but you can also recognize that you get to be the one to start something new. The trajectory of your family from here on out is changed because you made a decision, and it is yours to make. You made a decision that you were going to do something different. Now the question is, what does that decision look like? And, and yeah. I would say that what, what I'm seeing with like, like Tate, uh, Andrew, Tristan, Tate, Justin Waller, all these guys, what I'm seeing is, is they're, they're pointing to their success in, in various areas, and they're saying, well, look at what we've done. This is how to do it. And when I see Jordan Peterson, I see him saying things like, look, you've got to be disciplined. You've got to be capable. You clear. And, and there's, there's good aspects to the things that are being said. But foundationally, where does it start? Yeah. And, and for me, your worldview has to start with what ultimately gives all of this meaning and purpose. And, and the conclusion I've come to 
um, through through a, a combination of factors, but most importantly, just again, I, I think he chooses us, right? Yeah, is, I'm with you, brother. Yeah, there is. I've a, never there seen a child a, adopt a father. Yeah, there yeah, is a the God. Father always right? adopts the child. There, there is a God, and w- and one of the things that's that's interesting that you even see with like Andrew Tate, Tristan Tate, and Jordan Peterson. Well, they they're not, you know, they're not calling on God like like we're doing. They're still acknowledging that there, there's such a thing as good and evil in the world. Okay, well, where does this start with? You better answer that question because everything else that you develop, when we talk about this whole, this whole garbage about toxic masculinity, no, masculinity features certain things by necessity. Yes, you're supposed to be capable. Yes, you're supposed to be competent. Yes, you're supposed to be capable of violence. None of those things, right, or, or a lot of those things, they are morally neutral, until yep. you apply them towards something. And, and what I will say is, is that the, my Christian worldview, right, the, the fact that there is a God and there is such a thing as objective truth, that provides a map for what I'm supposed to do. And yeah, I'm supposed to be capable, competent. I'm supposed to be capable of using violence when necessary in order to protect the, the weak against those who would exploit and harm them. And, and so my job is to start developing those capabilities. Um, and, and I, and, and I would, I would, Again, say to young men that in the process of developing those and into like really diving in to your faith, um, you know, what does it mean to me? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a husband? What does it mean to be a father? Um, you need to both look to scripture for that. You need to look to prepare for that. You also need to look for, for godly mentorship with that. 100%. And, and that's how you start to develop those skill sets and what you remain focused on first. I, I remember I told when, when my um, daughter and her fiance first started dating, and it, and it started to become, you know, something where, okay, that we think this is, is going somewhere. I remember telling him, man, like, if you don't love Jesus more than anything else, you will never be able to love my daughter the way she deserves. Never. Mm-hmm. And, and people looking at this from a secular worldview, like, okay, well, I don't believe in any of that. Okay, well, then you're going to have to start asking some, some pretty fundamental questions about purpose and meaning in this life. Because if you, if you honestly think that everything around us is just here by accident and there's no ultimate purpose or no ultimate meaning, then you're going to go off chasing a bunch of things that will give you temporary gratification but ultimately stack up to a whole host of really, really bad mistakes. And you're going to find yourself creating another young man or another young girl that is sitting exactly. up going, I never had a father that was there for yep. me. So get the fundamentals right first. Start to really dig into that. What do you believe? Why do you believe it? And as you're doing that, start to develop those capabilities because when, when God commands us to, to love him with, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our there's different requirements in there. And it, and it requires each of us to be able to find the, the things that we were made and created to do and to become better at them for, for our own benefit, for the benefit of our family one day, for the benefit of our community, for the benefit of people that God puts within our path. And, and somebody said something once that I thought was, was really powerful. Um, they said, you know, we, we treat male depression the way we treat female depression, which is we try to make men feel like they're loved and supported and, and, and all that. He goes, when in reality, what, what men want is a worthy cause and to feel capable of it. He goes, you give them that, they'll, they'll crawl through broken glass to achieve it. Yeah. And, and the question is, is, okay, if you believe that's true, Why? And the reason why I believe it's true is because I do believe that we're not here by accident. I do believe that we're here, we're, we're beautifully and wonderfully created in the image of God, and we have a purpose to fulfill that he has given us. And so seeking that out and finding it is going to require discipline. It, it, it's going to require um, you know, effort. It, it, there's going to be times where you, where you feel like this is too difficult and you can't make it on your own. And the reason why is because you can't. And you're you going to fail. Right? You're yeah, going to fail. 
and it's and that's the part where you where you learn to you learn to rely on the God that created you for this purpose, and then you surround yourself with the people that are going to encourage you in that purpose. Um, and and when you stay focused on that instead of what the culture is telling you to believe, or instead of what the news or or anything else is telling you, when you stay focused on that, what you end up finding is that through the process of developing those capabilities of walking closer with your God of doing all of that, all of a sudden the other things that that you know. Again, when we say, when we say that God gives you the desires of your heart, that doesn't mean I, I give God a list of the things that I want and then he gives them to me. What it is is the more I lean into what my created purpose is, the more I become aware of the things that I should want. Basically, He gives me those desires. Exactly. And then chasing after them and developing them and, and developing those capabilities becomes something that is so much more important than just fulfilling my you know, needs for things. Well, that's where the average guy right now, they're literally very short-sighted, not legacy thinking. And really, it's just living from dopamine hit to dopamine hit, Mm -hmm. whether it's vaping, pornography, getting triggered on social media, playing video games, you know, smoking weed, getting laid. It's just dopamine hit after dopamine hit. And, And what you're talking about is there is a God and he has created us and he has already assigned us an identity that leads to our destiny. And it's, it, it, what is happening now, you're looking at a whole generation. It's like, well, there's, there's 2000 genders. So, you know, figure out which one you are like, okay, well, okay. I mean, how many people and things do I need to have sex with to figure out which one I am? You read the Bible. It's like, you're a man. Oh, okay. You're supposed to be masculine. Oh, okay. You're supposed to marry a woman. Oh, okay. The two of you will have sex. You're heterosexual and then children will come and you're going to be a father. It's like, oh, this is really nice because now my life is, uh, is actually something that someone smarter than me architected a game plan and didn't at 14 give me a mirror to look at my genitalia and figure out my destiny. It's overwhelming. Yeah. And so many kids are just, they're cratering with mental health and depression and suicidal ideation and anxiety. And if they would well, just identity look, Christ. If, if your identity, if your identity is not in Christ, well, then theoretically, it could be in just anything else. And what the world and it is shifts trying, and it changes. Oh, yeah, every every. I, it was. I was telling somebody once. I said, you know, out, out of all the new identities, I got to say that gender fluidity has got to be the one that that's that's got to be like the uh, the woke cheat code at this point because what it allows you to do is just passport yourself to to whatever gives you the most intersectionality points at that particular time the problem is is that it's never going to give you meaning fulfillment or purpose because it's still no. just one big identity crisis and 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 to your point when you're secure in who you are um my gosh the the world opens up with respect to what you can accomplish and not only that it opens up to with respect to what you can endure yeah and and this is the part that i i can't stress enough again i'll go back to scripture right when it talks about the peace which surpasses all understanding it doesn't say the peace which is totally understandable because everything is going wonderfully Mm -hmm. it's the peace which surpasses all understanding which means everyone else in the world is looking around going what the heck and you've got your stuff together who doesn't want that? Yeah. And, and, and that, that is, I mean, that is something that is, is truly incredible. And at this point, more than, I mean, any other time in my lifetime, I see people that are desperately looking for, for some, something to grab onto that is true and that is noble and, that, and for young men that is worth fighting for. And it's like, brother, this is it. 
this is it. I know it's been mocked. I know you've had people in positions of authority. You've had academics. You've had experts that have all told you that this is all garbage and this is all hocus pocus and this is all Santa Claus for adults. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and I want you to look at how their philosophies are working out for them right now. Do you well, see greater history, peace? If, if everybody on the planet did the woke agenda and the transgender ideology, there would be no one here and there would be nothing built. Yeah. And so, you know, you just, it's tree and fruit. Good tree bears good fruit. Like the reason we're here is heterosexual men who love God woke up in the morning with a sense of destiny and purpose, increase their pain threshold, accomplish something, and then raise their sons to rinse and repeat. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, if, if, if the church doesn't start to clue into, we have to be an extended family that raises up the next generation of young men to be fighters in the right way, husbands and fathers in the right way. There is nowhere else left in culture that even thinks that's a good idea or a possibility. And so, I mean, literally, I mean, maybe the good news is there's no competition. If Christian men will own their responsibility to help spiritually father the next generation of young men, that need is overwhelming, and the the lack of competition is quite frankly just staggering. Well, and and but I I, the other thing that frustrates me frustrates me about this though, um, and and obviously being involved in in you know I left the military, uh, got involved in politics. You know what was I thinking? But but I, I look around sometimes and, and I and I feel like especially during the, the early part of the twentieth century and the progressive era, uh when it when it really started around there, it was this whole idea of the church rendering to Caesar things that did not belong to Caesar and now the church sitting back going, How did all this happen? Like are you serious? Yeah. Are you serious? Now and, and I, I get I, I have some other guys on my team who who will sometimes he goes like Nick, sometimes it feels like you're just you're just bashing on young men and I'm like Okay, I'm going to need to pray about that because that is not my intention. Like, I, I my I, the message I have to young men right now is, brother, I get it. There are so many things going on in society right now where the predominant, the prevailing culture has decided you're the bad guys. You know, you're, you're you're a heterosexual male. Oh, you're the bad guy. Why? Because they say so. Because of something somebody did. 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, you're the bad guy, and you can't escape it. And unless, of course, you want to choose a different identity, in which case now you can be an ally and now you can be brave and stunning. But if you want to actually embrace traditional concepts of masculinity, well, you're the bad guy. And, and my response to that is like, look, none of that's fair. None of that's accurate. None of that's good. The question is, is what are you going to do about it? And, and if what you choose to do is is go away and watch the podcast that will explain about how bad women have gotten in the whole deal. Fine, you can do that. But it's not going to bring you the it's not going to bring you the peace, it's not going to bring you the joy, it's not going to bring you the satisfaction and the purpose and the meaning that you're looking for. The good news is everything that that, that prevailing culture is telling you right now, they're wrong. And you want to go prove that they're wrong? If, if you're going to wait around for them to figure out that they're wrong, that's going to take a lot of time and a lot of pain and probably a lot of violence and a lot of civil unrest. You want to go prove they're wrong? Go out and do the very opposite of what they're telling you to do. Go, go out there and develop those masculine traits, those biblical masculine traits. Go out there and, and you know, find a woman that you love. Um, that you respect, that you want to honor and cherish, and you guys grow together in that marriage, and then you have children, and you raise up your kids in the way that they should go, and you do all of those things, and as the culture is sitting there just biting at you and sniping at you and mocking you, 
You just keep going ahead with what you know is the correct thing to do. Go up there and assume the leadership God has given you as a man, as a husband, as a father. And as the results speak for themselves, the culture will shift because it will be left with no option at that point. Yeah. Because as people, as people run headlong into the consequences, I have a good friend, he always says, you can ignore reality. You just can't ignore the consequences of ignoring reality. And it is one thing for us all to sit here and be like, that's a lie, that's a lie, that's a lie. But like in anything else in life, if you tell people will hold on to a convenient lie until they see a truth worth fighting for. And the truth worth fighting for is not just going to come with a slick argument. The, the argumentation is necessary and it's purposeful and it's, it's necessary. But ultimately what they're going to do is look around and when, when everything else is chaos, when everything they were promised would work for them and give them meaning and purpose fails to do so, and they look around and then all of a sudden you've got it together, that's when they're going to come and be like, what are you doing different? And that's when the answer is you point to the cross. Yeah. Well, and, and, I'll, and I'll close with this. I mean, it's an interesting time, and I appreciate you and the conversation, and it's tremendously needed. But like, um, I'll never forget, you're talking about your daughter. My, my son came home, uh, my oldest son, he was around 14. He said, uh, Dad, I want to talk to you. I was like, okay. He said, uh, I like somebody. And I was like, okay. I said, tell me about it. He said, it's a, it's a little redheaded, you know, strawberry blonde girl, little girl. I was like, woo, it's a girl, you know, celebrate the wins. <laughs> and, uh, and so he's like, dad, I, I really care about her. I was like, but you're 14. Like you're, you're not ready to get married. You know this. And you know that, you know, I mean, we believe in marriage. We're very pro marriage and we want to, we want our kids to look forward to getting married. Not, not to be desperate, but, but to be expectant. And I said, well, here's what we'll do we'll slowly walk the path. You guys can just be friends and then we'll talk about intentional friendship and then later on intentional dating. Well, I didn't forbid him and we walked the path and, um, he got, he married that little gal at 21 yeah. and, um, they just had a little baby boy last week and today is my son's birthday. And so oh, today, awesome. um, my son is, you know, at his house with his wife, and uh, my grandson, who's a beautiful little boy, and he's in his, you know, still in his early 20s. And uh, I'm just proud of him. And at the end of the day, when, when you are a man who wakes up and you're like, this is my God, this is my wife, this is my child, these are my responsibilities, and I am going to be a blessing to them, it gives a guy his dignity back. It is more expensive, it is more work, but if we learn anything from Jesus, you're not a real man unless you're a giver and not a taker. Mm -hmm. No, thanks for a, joining me. Anything you'd add in conclusion, my friend? No, I, I will just say I, I think that's that's absolutely spot on. It, it's we've been we've been fed this lie about life that if we could just get rid of the the responsibilities, then we can indulge in all the pleasures. And what you end up finding up when you're a little bit longer down the road is you look back at the challenge that you had to face, the responsibilities that you had, um, the, the core purposes that God has given you in your life with relation to your relationship with him, your wife, your children. Um, those are the points you look back on and you think, man, that's, that's where I found some of the greatest purpose and meaning. And those things were worth fighting for. And sometimes it was a struggle. But the joy that came out of the other side of that is something I would never trade for, for the casual dopamine hits that I'm being asked to trade all of that for. And, um, but again, 
the proof, the thing that's going to convince young men of that is when they watch men a little bit further down the road remaining true to that purpose yeah. and then watching the results come about. You mind closing our time in prayer, brother? Absolutely. Thanks, buddy. Dear Lord, I, I thank you for this time with, with Pastor Driscoll. I, I thank you, Lord, um, for the grace and the mercy that you show all of us. And, and uh, I just I continue to ask, Lord, for your, your guidance for all of us in this world and specifically for young men that are looking for purpose and meaning and for so many of them that haven't found it with their fathers, haven't found it within the culture, and, and knowing that there is a place that they can find it in you as their heavenly father, but also... What an incredible opportunity they have to take a moment to find out what they believe and to change the trajectory for their entire family. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is something worth dedicating a life to. And Lord, we thank you for the purpose that you give all of us. And we pray that you will continue to give us the strength to fight for you and in all things glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thanks for your time. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you. Pastor Mark here saying thank you for giving me the honor of helping you to learn God's word In a world filled with bad news, you need some good news. In a world filled with lies, you need some truth. And so, as I like to say, it's all about Jesus. We open the Bible and we help people learn about Jesus Christ. And I just want to say, uh, if you would help me get the Word of God out, it would mean the world to me. You can go to realfaith.com, mountain of Bible teaching. I mean, we're coming up on three decades of Bible teaching. And or if you just go to 99383 and text the word unfiltered, again, that's 99383 unfiltered, we'll send you a link that'll open up literally thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces of free Bible teaching.